Hmm, you're probably wondering how you got here. It's the Woodworking Morning Show. Get ready to compare two ridiculously expensive sanders! These sanders only have one job, Gene, and today we're going to see which one spins in circles better. Festool's the German powerhouse that's equally as good at removing wood as it is at removing money from your wallet. Merka, the lighter champ hailing from Finland. It's yellow. It's Finnish. There's a joke in there somewhere. Come watch these Sanders duke it out in the epic battle of our generation. Festool. Mirka. Who said sanding is boring? (laughs) That's how you start a show. Am I right? Yeah. All right. Hey, if you aren't familiar, if you haven't seen that or you haven't been on the page uh, today, we did publish a new video. Finally, the Mirka versus the Festal Sander, that mm-hmm. whole little comparison video, is out and ready for you to eat it up. Mm. Uh, Todd did a great job. We Like, last minute, I was like, dude, I want to do something funny for this to promote it on Instagram. And it turned out to be something that I really wish I would have put in the actual video. Hey, Todd's in the chat room. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> Todd whipped that thing up super quick. I, all I did was give him a voiceover. Uh, it was his idea to do, like, a wrestling or boxing uh, thing. I love it. I just did the voiceover, and then he made the rest happen. So hey. uh, having a professional editor is very handy. Uh, welcome Oh, by the way, to yeah, our live show. This is our live show. It's uh, Wood Whisper Live. <laughs> it's not the morning for us. I'm sure but it's morning. We'll get those intros yeah, fixed We'll eventually. fix them. We'll fix them. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I'm Mark, if you didn't know. And I'm Nicole. And we're going to answer woodworking questions from, uh, from the chat room. Mm-hmm. Uh, folks who helped us out on Patreon as well on uh, YouTube in the membership area. We've got questions pre-selected from those mm-hmm. folks. We'll get to as many as we possibly can. And I will be taking questions from the YouTube chat room. Uh, as you ask questions, I mm-hmm. copy and paste them and then ask them, pepper them throughout. And, of course, we like to highlight the people who help us out. So I want to thank John Cutberth, John Berger, Bill Collins, Kelly Phelps, uh, Melanie L- Loverick, Johnny Matevich, sorry, Johnny, Uh, the average (laughs) Swede, (laughs) Philip Schaefer, Dirk Cummings, Matt Buttrell, and Randy Parker. Thank you. That one I can say. Randy Parker. Makes sense to my brain. All right. Uh, Do do we have a main topic for the show today? Yeah, and something I want to try to do with these live shows is to hit a topic in the the volume is low. Volume is low. I told him if he played that video... It was going to mess the volume up. No, it's fine. You, you people, shush. <laughs> Steve okay. Miller. All right, so uh, I did want to start to do something a little more interesting. A lot of people don't love the live format, but I want to give you some meat. Some meat to chew on. You can pull it off the bone. It says and your then, mic's not working. Oh, you guys. Just, they're probably right. <laughs> Sorry. You, get, you mess with uh, something. I didn't mess with anything. <laughs> you played a video. Oh, uh, well, I did do that. But I, it's only the echo cancellation. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Right. I don't know what you want from all right, me. All right, all right, um, all right. I do want to make sure you guys hear something. So here, uh, Al says it sounds fine here. Okay, okay, all right. <laughs> How do like we go periods of like a year <laughs> with zero technical difficulties, and then out of nowhere we have one problem, yeah. and then week after week it's a problem until <laughs> it resolves again. So uh, if if there's problems, I'm sorry. Everybody's saying is this speaker please, but no, sounds fine. Everybody's saying sounds fine. Okay, I'm gonna go with the people who said it's fine. The people who say speak up. I'm booming. I'll lower my mic now. Tom awesome. Gosh, right. you guys. It's fine. Just just go. Okay. All right. I'm a little bit louder now. Is that a little bit better? A little bit better? <laughs> God. It's oh, right. God. Just go. This is why you, the, the person running the show shouldn't read the chat room. Yeah. It messes things up. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so my goal today uh, was to just give you a quick overview of something that, you know, I think a lot of us probably take for granted, tape measures. Tape you know, measures. How much do you think about tape measures? I know I don't think much about them. I always see them. the posts in the Facebook groups where somebody has like five of them and they line them all up to show how they're all different. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oops. Um, a delay is not something we're worried about, guys. It's just volume. If there's delay, that's something we have absolutely zero control over. Um, so I did want to talk a little bit about our, our trusty tape measures. Not super in-depth. Let's just, you know, if you're a beginner, this is going to be useful information to you. Um, but tape measures come in all shapes and sizes. Um, if you talk to some fine woodworkers, you might hear things like, you know, tape measures are inaccurate. Maybe they're not good enough for fine woodworking, yet I still have a whole mess of them in my shop. And part of the reason is because, obviously, the length. You know, some of our most accurate woodworking measuring devices that we have in the shop are maybe 12 inches. If you go into my woodpecker stuff is over there on the wall, which is why I'm looking over there. Uh, you can get things that are like 24 inches long and straight edges that are that length, but <clears throat> you certainly can't do something 10 feet long um, with like an aluminum or, or steel straight is that, edge. Is that the Max one? This is the Stanley Fat Max. Fat Max. Right, so even though these are sort of notoriously construction grade type tools, they still can come in handy for woodworking. And one of the reasons is because what I recommend you do is use one. Like if you're gonna pick a project and, and get into a project, stick with one tape measure. Because if there's small errors between this one and the one next to it, uh, commit to one and then that should help minimize things. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of us also use relative dimensioning. So if you're bored, you know, let's say the project calls for a 12 inch board, you measure out 12 inches. Well, even if you're slightly off, you usually set up a fence or a stop. And that's what actually dictates the length of the part. So even if you're just like a 16th under or over, that usually doesn't matter as long as your parts are consistent, right? So I wanna show you what I've got here. Two things I wanna talk about. One is the variety of things you could purchase and I'll give you my recommendations. But uh, also we'll talk a little bit about, you know what I think happened? I think John put that away and mm. I, he may not have been as careful as I am about not touching the levels. Gotcha. <laughs> he may have actually uh, bunked it. Do, do you have a video on relative dimensioning? I have stuff. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I talk I'm, about it in I'm context. I'm Googling it. Oh, we actually have a video. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect, Nicole. Uh, Great you, job. Uh, you put something out back in 2010. All right. So 2010. I got a question on Wood Talk. You'll hear it in an upcoming podcast if you listen to that show. Um, someone asked a really interesting question. He said it was a dumb question. But then I really got to think about it. And I'm like, I don't think that's dumb at all. So what he was asking is on a tape measure, you have a line thickness, right? And if you're a fine woodworker and you use half millimeter pencils or knives to lay out joinery and things like that, you might look at a tape measure and think what he thinks. You go, well, that line has a thickness. My pencil line has a thickness. He's like, so if I want an accurate one inch cut, do I actually cut on the line? Do I go to the side of the line or the inside of the line? And I was like, that's a damn good question. I don't know. <laughs> Like my rule of thumb, you know, when it comes to, um, to cutting on a particular line is to just do the same thing all the time, right? So if you leave your line, when you mark a line, you make your cut and you leave it or your cut consumes the line, whatever you do, just be consistent about it. I don't think that part matters. But the question was on a tape measure, where is the true accurate one inch point? Which I thought was super compelling. So what I did was I took my calipers and I actually did a measure, I'm not gonna do it live here because it's really finicky. And I looked at it, and as it turns out, right up to that line. Now some of you might be going, Mark, you're a moron. We already knew this, but I didn't know this. So maybe you didn't. If you go right up to the line, that's the one inch point. If you go over the line at all, it is over one inch. So what that means is, if you transfer this one inch mark true to your workpiece, so you take your pencil, you try to match it to the one inch line, and then you cut that line away when you make your cut, that should be, at least according to two or three of my tape measures, that should be a true one inch. Jeff Early likes a folding ruler. A lot of people like folding rules. I haven't yet found the way to love them. Is it a folding, it's a folding rule, not a folding ruler? I think you could probably say both, <laughs> okay. right? But it's, it's kind of an old school thing. Uh, my grandpa had one. I've, yeah, got, I, I've got one that was kind of like a promotional thing I for festival. I remember using them in school. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, er, oh no. Al says, use a one, two, three block and mark with a knife. Sure. That's not what we're talking about today. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But that's not what we're talking about. Steve Miller wants to know if you've ever t tried the flat tape measures from FastCap. No. And I'll tell you what about FastCap. Um, I actually I keep coming back here. I did order one of the, I think it might have been the lefty righty or something, one yeah. of the, the green one. Um, and it, I found it to be a little flimsy, mm -hmm. uh, not in the tape itself, but the, uh, part of on the back, I think it was like the belt clip broke and I don't remember the details, but I remember not being able to get the piece off and it was kind of sharp and just, I just got over it very fast. 
Um, but I know FastCap does make some really sort of ingenious concepts when it comes to tape measures. So if you're looking for something special, uh, tape measures that are like readable easily left and right, that's kind of the lefty righty thing they do. Mm -hmm. um, they've got some cool stuff, but I want to show you some tape measures. Stop distracting me. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm trying to do a show here. I'll add all of these to our Amazon <laughs> store too. So shop, sure. amazon.com slash shop slash the wood whisperer. So the first recommendation I want to give you as a woodworker, you want to consider the length of your tape measure. Now you might go to Home Depot and be like, well, tape measures aren't that expensive. I'm going to splurge and get me that 25 footer. Well, I don't think you need to do that. I actually think for woodworking in the shop, 16 is the max you're absolutely going to need. Fat max. Yeah, fat get max. It? I think that's really the max you would ever really need. So why are you carrying around a giant 25 foot tape measure in a workshop when everything is probably going to be less than eight feet? So I actually, I mean, even though I have this, have that's yeah. for house stuff, DIY stuff around the house, uh, but I do keep it in the when shop. When the kids want to measure like yeah. <laughs> the room. <laughs> of course, they always <laughs> want to do that. Uh, the 16 is the one that I'm going to stock up on, uh, but I don't feel the need to go any more than 16. And in fact, oh. I like these little tiny guys. So on Amazon, there's a, a Fat Max 16, $134. And I was like, what? And it's a six pack oh, of them. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> So one thing that I started to do was to grab these little six footers. A cool thing is if you get a little epoxy, now this one actually broke off, but if you get epoxy, put a magnet on there. You could take these and put them on your tools. So you always have one nearby. And honestly, if you think about the kind of work you do, how often do you have to measure over six feet? Mm -hmm. So if you have you know four or five of these around the shop, this could be your go-to tape measure uh, for fine woodworking tasks. Right, so think about getting those. Uh, a couple other ones that I have here. This was the anniversary edition that Stanley put out. I love that. That's my favorite. That's the one Nicole keeps in, in her desk. Yeah, don't touch my... Well, this is from your desk. Is it? Sorry. <laughs> it's always there. And, and look at this. I forgot we even had this. I found it in a drawer. Oh, wow. It was a promotional Wood Whisperer tape measure. Look at that. I, even, I don't think it's durable enough you know for the what? shop. But. There's an early, even an earlier one with the very first logo, and it's like mm -hmm. orange and plastic. <laughs> I now, think Vic still has one. Uh, this one is new to me. This was recommended by a, I can't remember who it was, a uh, nice guy on um, Instagram said, hey, I know you like, you know, good quality uh -huh. things. He's like, I've been looking for a better tape measure. And this one is made by Tajima. Um, hmm. This is on my recent orders on okay, Amazon I'll, if you're looking it. for it. Not too expensive considering. I mean, Fat Max tape measures are not cheap either. Um, but what this one boasts is... First of all, and you know, other tape measures do this too, but it locks on its own and it's the other style where you have to push the button to have it retract, uh, which is kind of nice. Is that the uh, auto lock feature? What's the auto lock feature? That's what this is, okay. yeah. So you also have a very thick, very firm um, tab on here. What is this called? Let's call it a dewlap. <laughs> this thing here, that hook, maybe it's just called a hook. Uh, very thick. And, you know, a lot of times that motion, that play that you have in there, that has to be pretty precise. Um, and, and this one is, right? Everything that, that this is made with, uh, when you compare it to your average tape measure, is generally better quality. Um, I actually took this against my Starrett rule, and I was looking for consistency across it. And it is probably one of the most consistent uh, series of marks that I've ever seen. In addition, check out the backside. You have the rule there as well. So there are times you might need something or you, you got it on a, a weird angle or you're doing something upside down, you actually have your marks on that side. So the only thing I don't like about this is the housing. It's kind of a hard plastic. You guys can probably hear and see that. I don't know how well this is gonna take you know, a fall. And we, we've dropped it a couple of times. Mm -hmm. You can see the T is kind of scraped off there. It's no Fat Max. You know, if you're on a 16-foot ladder and you drop this on the ground, uh, the Fat Max is probably going to get mm -hmm. up and, you know, walk. Uh, this one, I don't know if it's going to survive that. So the jury's still out on that, but I did want to recommend it uh, cautiously, a cautious recommendation. Mm -hmm. If you're looking for a tape measure that's just a little bit better than the average uh, and very nice, you know, Fairly thick, comparatively speaking, uh, in terms of how far you can actually get that guy to stand. What's that called? Stand out? Something like that? I don't know this. I don't know this stuff, guys. I'm just making crap up I'm as just, I go. I'm just measuring stuff. So that's my thoughts on tape measures. Um, I do, I do think there's something you want to have in the shop, but you know, know what know what they can do, what they can't do, and, and use them appropriately. And I think you'll be happy. George W says, "Love the flat flat tape from FastCap." Yep, that's a popular one. Like I said, FastCap makes some pretty interesting so, uh, thingies. The one you stole from me, how, how 
How big is that one? This one? Oh, it's tiny. It's, it's probably the, the classic ones. Where probably did we six get foot. these? Someone sent them to yeah, us. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, for, I don't remember. We're not good at this stuff. You. It was a, a 10 foot rule. I think we have, did we have like three of them? Four of them? A couple of them, yeah. yeah. So this one's 10 feet. The other little one that I had, the tiny Fat Max, that's six. Yes, yeah, the anniversary one. It's a lot. I mean, 10 feet in this small space, that's pretty good. Yeah. So there you go, guys. Uh, any questions about that, we can start our regular questions, but anybody has something to say, we can certainly uh, go back to that. You ready? Uh, Tim JB says he uses the 25-foot one outside a lot. And that's, that's why I clarified. Yeah. Yeah. I have a 25 for that same reason, but outside is probably not shop projects, you know, furniture. Yeah, I wasn't really. Oh, the, the magnet. Did you talk about a magnet? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, let's get to some questions here. I got a question from Alfred Chu. He says... What might be a good hand tool project that can uh, make I can make in the corner of a room, presuming that I have the tools? I am currently without a workshop. There's box making, but I was wondering if there was any other fun small projects that can serve a function as opposed to having only aesthetic appeal. Uh, trying to keep it small and light on dust because I have a one-year-old running around. Thanks. All right, so I have two suggestions, and this is a great question for the chat room. You guys think on your toes probably better than I do. So um, I'm going to suggest... Maybe a Kumiko project. If you've oh, never tried cool. that, obviously milling all the little sticks might be something that would be difficult to do. But you can actually buy kits uh, where some of that stuff is pre-milled. And then you're just doing fine cuts and real detailed work. That might be a good uh, in, in, like, project that you do in a corner without making much dust. Certainly not making much noise. Uh, along the same lines, um, you know, with miters and things like that, it's just a picture frame. Um, I don't, you know, if you don't happen to need one, that won't be very good. But uh, if you can make, you know, 45 degree miters, get a shooting board so you could shoot them nice and clean. Uh, definitely a cool hand tool project, I think, that you could pull off. So those are the two that come to mind. But of course, chat room, you guys got better ideas? Float them. Light hear on them. the dust. Hmm. Oh, did, um, yeah, I should have put it into the first part of the show. Um, do you guys see the video announcement about my three-month initiative, <laughs> my three-month challenge for myself of making weekly videos? If you haven't seen it, well, now you know. Uh, go look, look for those videos. Every Friday, or actually I might switch to Sunday, uh, weekly videos coming from the Wood Whisperer. Sunday might be good. You see all this? You're going to see more of it. Don't know if that's what you're into, but that's what's <laughs> going to happen. Okay, Daniel Kirkhart has a quick question here. How can I tell when Rubio Monaco has gone bad? I've had it just over a year, and it seems to all be just fine, hoping to use it as a finish for a customer project and hate to send it off and find out the finish was bad and has some issues. Well, from my experience with Rubio, uh, when it goes bad, it gets real clumpy. And the activator, like the uh, Part B, I think it is, um, the clear stuff, that will just seal up and completely solidify, and the other stuff gets chunky and gross. Um, if you see chunks in it, you still might be able to use it if you pour off the chunks or pour off the good stuff and leave the chunks. Uh, but if you have a fully liquid can and it's, it was sealed really well, as long as it's liquid, I think you're fine. Go ahead and use it. <laughs> uh, Yoso had a question. Yoso. Oh, I forgot before you do that. Uh -huh. Joseph Mensch at the top of the show Joseph! Did, a, did a nice super chat and said, it's been a while since I was able to make it to a live show. Good seeing you guys. Good seeing you, Joe. Hi, Joe. Thanks, dude. Is it Joseph? Joseph? Do you call him Joe? I don't think he likes to be called Joe, Joseph. but that's why I do it. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> okay. Uh, Yoso says, so I bought the keyless chuck. I think he asked that question a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And installed it in my drill press, but I failed to consider one thing. When I use a keyless chuck on my hand drill, the chuck gets locked when I'm trying to tighten it. So I can actually tighten the bit. But in my drill press, it doesn't. Um, it ends up opening the top with the drill press disconnected, obviously. Uh, and I use the front pulley of my chuck, and I have to do this when tightening and untightening the bit. So I guess he's immobilizing it. Um, am I missing something? This seems way too cumbersome and dangerous. Well, I can only tell you what I do. With a keyless chuck, you don't need a whole lot of pressure. Um, but typically on a keyless chuck, you're going to see a knurled ring at the top and then a knurled section at the bottom. And that's how you're gripping this thing, right? Um, so what I do is just kind of tighten it up by hand, give it a little twist. It's not much, right? Those things, if it's a good quality chunk, it doesn't need a whole lot of pressure. Just enough and boom, and it's done. And then when I need to loosen it, boom, loosen it. I just don't think you need to hammer it down. Now, I don't know about your particular chuck. Again, chat room, if you guys have different ideas, um, I don't do anything other than that. It's all by hand, and I don't have bit slipping issues or anything like that. So maybe either yours just is different, or maybe you're trying to tighten it more than it really needs to be tightened. Okay. Bing. 
Garrett Barton says, my table saw has recently started to make a noise, mostly noticeable upon startup. Uh, that sounds similar to a wobble or some sort. I've checked and the blade appears to have no noticeable wobble. The nut holding the blade isn't loose. The cut seems fine, except for maybe a slight loss of power. I'm just trying to figure out what it could possibly be from. Have you ever experienced a sound like this? The saw is relatively new, not heavy, uh, not heavily used, and I wouldn't think it's a wear and tear thing. Any info would help. I don't know. Don't know. Read the question. Don't know. Uh, troubleshooting something like that is, you know, I'm not that much of a like machine-oriented person. I mean, I use power tools, but some people know things about like bearings and belts and gears, and <laughs> I'm not one of those people. Um, when you describe those sounds, though, and you've kind of looked at like, is there wobbling? Is there run out going on? Um, one of the things you might look at is like, is there a bearing that's gone bad? You know, sometimes the motor, uh, if the bearing just gets all wonky, that could also cause noises and weird sounds. I've got that going on in my planer, actually. It sounds horrible, uh, but it still works. So I guess I'm going to run it until it breaks. There you go. That's what you do. Got a super chat. That you, it, uh, you got everything off to the side. Right there. Robert Price? Yeah. <laughs> Robert Price says, tuning in late. Apologies if someone beat me to it. Dovetails? Oh. Oh. My oh. shirt. Oh. Woo. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's a fun shirt. This is, um, I don't remember the dude's name. Once Upon a Workbench? Once Upon a Workbench. I mean, I remember the, I don't remember his name. I yep. remember his channel. Business channel, whatever. Uh, Once Upon a Workbench has great woodworking t shirts. No trademark infringement whatsoever. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Brandon B said, can somebody send me the link uh, if Mark had a write-up on moving a shop? Well. Boy, do we ever. I've moved a few shops. He has, and he's documented it. I'm going to uh, put a link in the chat that has all of the videos and articles. Uh, remember? It's a plethora. It's a plethora. A plethora. Plethora. <laughs> moving shop. There you go. <laughs> it's plural. <laughs> okay, Brad Logston wrote in. He says, everything I read regarding flattening... Oh, he says, flattering of flattering. my Shapton stones. That's when you pick them up and you go, you are so beautiful. <laughs> you little green ceramic flat beauty. Uh, I've read that regarding flattening of my Shapton stones says to do it before each sharpening session. I have a set of relatively cheap chisels. PMV 11 is on back order. I'll be replacing the cheap ones with quality ones over time. But right now, I'm flattening and sharpening the cheapies. A uh, sharpening session can literally be hours. Anyway, during a long session, how often would, should I stop to flatten my shaft and stones? I do it like once per session. In fact, I don't do it right before I start. I try to do it at the end of the session so it's just ready to go uh, the next time I need to sharpen. Um, I generally will just do it once per session. I don't think it gets that far out of whack with one single session, even if it's a couple hours of sharpening. Um, that said, it doesn't take that much effort. And the longer you wait, the more effort it takes. So if you feel like after 45 minutes of sharpening, you want to just go to the sink, grab whatever your flattening medium is, rub those two suckers together, because it also is nice to clean up the schmutz that's on there from all the sharpening, right? That can also make it more difficult to sharpen over time. Um, so go ahead and just use it as something to clean it up. That also flattens it, gets it ready for the next hour of sharpening. I don't see any problem doing that. I just don't think, you know, in a couple of hours, I don't know that you're going to do so much that it's going to be a huge problem. At least that's how it's been in my hands. Uh, see, since you're talking about sharpening, Anthony said, Mark, would you consider doing a video about Arkansas stones for sharpening hand tools? Nope. Maybe include your thoughts on Never. the hard black stone? Can't do it. Um, From Dan Wheatstone? I would think Dan's about it. Yeah, there's all kinds of stones out there. I, 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 I can think about it. I don't have any of those is the problem. So I would need to get something. But mm. I'll definitely keep it in mind. Kurt Allen says that he has two large solid wood panels that are 7 eighths thick, 26 by 54 final dimensions. I need to cross-cut the panels to the same length. My cross-cut sled is too narrow for the width, and my MD, or not MDF, MFT isn't long enough to use the stop. Would you suggest cutting both panels at the same time on the MFT to get identical lengths or some other approach? Well, that will definitely work. I mean, as long as your saw... I mean, some of the TS-55s can kind of complain on a two-inch cut. You're almost at two inches at that point. Um, but if you can do it in one cut, go for it. Maybe you got a TS-75. Um, so, yes, cut them at the same time. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But if you want to actually cut them with some kind of a stop, here's the thing, 26 inches? Does the MFT handle 26 inches? 
I don't remember what, what it is. I thought anytime it's around 24, I get nervous, but it's been a while since I've used it, so maybe it does. Um, but what you can do is add some kind of an auxiliary strip to the top to like clamp it down to the existing aluminum uh, fence, clamp it down, and then just, it could just be a board. Run it as far as you need to, just get a long strip, and then clamp a stop to that. It just becomes like an auxiliary stop. Um, so as long as it doesn't move, it doesn't have to be perfectly straight or anything. It just has to stop those boards once they're on the fence, push it over, stops, that's it. So you can actually cobble together something. Just be careful that you don't consume much of that depth by putting it in front of the fence, maybe clamp it on top of the fence, and then have a stop that kind of goes into the, uh, the business area, if you know what I mean. Weston had a really good question. Do you tend to raise or lower your standards of quality when making furniture for yourself versus someone else? It's all the same. Yeah. Generally speaking, it's all the same. I don't raise or lower. I think I might lower mine a little when I'm doing quilts. Yeah. I, when I made mine. You're like, like, oh, well, it's it for me anyway. The blanket. Um, <laughs> okay. I've gotten to a point now that I have trouble stepping back, right, to lower my standards. Mm -hmm. And there are times where it's necessary. But there, I find it very difficult. I think I've just gotten to the point that by doing the show, even though you may, like maybe in your world, you're making things for people. Mm -hmm. I make things, of course, there's a recipient that receives that, but I have an audience, right? So I'm always thinking about that audience. That audience is maybe not, you know, it's not the same, mm -hmm. but they're always there. They represent this thing in my head that says, I want to impress these people. I need to have it to a certain standard so those people see what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I actually am a little more concerned about that than the like IRL people who I'm giving the thing to. <laughs> yeah, you're those, lucky. They're getting it for free. They'll yeah. be, happy, be happy with what I give No you. complaining. Shut up. <laughs> But like seriously, um, they're probably not even going to be as picky, right? Yeah. They're, they're fine with it. Yeah. So honestly, my situation is a little bit different because I feel like I always have the same customer. That's you guys. Yeah. So I have to achieve a certain standard. Uh, Michael Moskiki. Okay. Sorry, Michael. Uh, what about the Festool tape measure? Did you used to have a Festool? I thought you yeah, had a Festool tape measure. I did. I don't know where it is. Yeah, it's around here somewhere. Mm -mm. Um, I never really used it, though. I had yeah. it, but I never really used it. Whoa, what is that? Ding. Okay. Uh, let's see. Someone was asking why the little hook on the end moves. It's because when you have a tape measure, there's two ways you're going to use it. You're either going to hook it on something or you're going to put it up against something. Right? So if you think about it, this thing itself. That the, that's the screen cap. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the hook itself has a thickness. So you need to offset and compensate for that as you're either hooking this way mm. or going up against oh, something, right? So that's yeah, why yeah. it moves. Yeah, yeah. All right. uh, Todd said this 175th anniversary Stanley tape measure is still available on their website. Mm. I also found it on Amazon. Good to know. And I threw it in, I threw it in the store. They're fun. I like them. They, just, they feel good in hand. They're, they're, they're dense. They're hefty. They're I real like hefty and they just have a, just a good Whenever feel. Whenever the kids take it, I'm like, no, no, no. That's not yours. We throw it at them and they won't take it anymore. <laughs> This is pretty heavy. Okay, Black Goat Woodworking says, got any good tips on how to determine if it's time to rotate carbide teeth on a helical head cutter? Uh, blah, 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 blah. My planer and jointer are about the same age and about the same usage, so I assume when it's time to just rotate everything together. Yeah, I mean, I guess, but I, I would rotate them when I, when I think I need to, right? And how do you know when you need to? Well, when it becomes a lot harder to get good results or you find that the planer is working harder to push it through or maybe it even, excuse me, it even stalls. Just make sure you keep waxing the table, you know, doing all those things. But if you start to notice bad results, you can't get away with, you know, planing figured woods and that worked before. Um, passing through the jointer, doing the same, you know, stock removal, the same amount of removal. And now it's really hard to push through, but before it was super easy there's a good time to rotate. That said, carbide cutters, hey, they last a long time. I mean, my planer, I think when, when Jason was here, mm -hmm. we rotated them for the first time. And yeah, not, I remember when that <clears throat> happened. Yeah, not because I was getting really bad results, just because it had been like four years, yeah, five years. I was like, you know what? I just feel like maybe I'm not noticing that it's not <laughs> cutting as clean. Rotated them and I go, yep, it's cutting the same. Yep. <laughs> it did not really improve things because it never really got bad to begin with. That's one of the great things about it. So unless you're really seeing a reason to rotate them, I wouldn't. Plan D Woodworks has a nice question, or interesting question. A nice one. Nice one. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? 
five years from now. Right where I am today. I really don't have <laughs> I don't really project incredible that. aspirations. Yeah, five years from now, <clears throat> Mateo's going to be in middle school, <clears throat> high school, I kind of, as far as like long range plans, I keep, I kind of take it as it comes. Yeah. Uh, we kind of adjust on the fly, you know, this video change that we did. Mm -hmm. That was like a spur of the moment thing, but we've been building toward this by amassing a staff that can help us. Someone asked how that schedule's going. It's going great. The it's first fine. video came out today. Super easy. So this is really easy. <laughs> it's week one. Yeah, week one. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. Five years. I'm going to be, I mean, that's the thing, guys. I've been doing this for 15 years. Um, and we're yeah. still, to this day, in spite of all the life changes we've had, we're still kind of just doing the same thing we've always done and going to new platforms when they show up, adapting to trends that change and the way people want to see the content. Mm -hmm. um, I see myself continuing to do woodworking and then telling people about it. Telling. Pretty simple. Wasn't that your tagline for a while? <coughs> Doing woodworking and telling, telling people, people about, about it. it or something like that. I think so. <laughs> uh, Andy, nope. Yes. Andy Moran, Moran, mm -hmm. says, excited to hear that there will be more videos on the way. Any teasers on some topics that you plan to cover? Mm -hmm. Well, I could if I could reach that calendar that's sitting right <laughs> over go, there. I'll go get it for you. <clears throat> Can you reach it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll give you a little preview. Thanks, Tuts. All right. Tuts. <laughs> okay. One topic I want to cover. Things I wish I knew when I started woodworking. I filmed that today. In oh, fact, did you? Ten things. I sat and I thought about like my, my obstacles and road bumps that I hit early, early in the process of woodworking. Things I wish I knew when I started. Uh, let's see. I'm, I'm starting a whole series of buy this, not that. Mm -hmm. Right? So buy this tool not this one. Like, here's the reason why you want this one. So it's going to be an ongoing series with themes. From a woodworker's perspective. From a wood well, everything I do is from a... I understand. You're like that commenter on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, before. I am. Some guy comments on the, the, uh, the video I posted the, today. The Festal Merca review. And he's like, uh, no offense, but it's pretty clear this review is from a woodworker. And I'm like, oh my God, how do I not say no... Dude, come on. Anyway, so there's going to be a buy this, not that regarding drills and drill bits. Uh, we'll have another one uh, regarding table saw accessories. Uh, let's see. Some of my favorite things is going to be a theme we're going to do. My favorite, um, five favorite hand tools. Uh, know your router direction. Um, and that's like understanding the hows and whys of which direction you go inside a workpiece or outside a frame. Um, you know, handheld router versus um, table-mounted router. Uh, let's see, table saw blades, favorite router bits, <clears throat> measuring tools, and a buy this, not that. Actually, a lot of what we did tonight, some of that stuff is probably going to go into the buy this, not that version for measuring and layout. Um, white lines on dark wood. We did that in the guild. A lot of these, mm -hmm. actually, a couple of these I'm sniping from the guild. <laughs> Uh, so here, here's where this comes down. I mean, I don't want it, to, it, it's all fun stuff. Um, what John, I was talking to my assistant John about this and he was like, you know what you need to do? Categorize stuff in the shop, right? There's tools, there's materials, there's, uh, techniques, you know, like categorize these things and just kind of, let's just brainstorm and then start rotating through. And that's how we came up with the list. So we have plenty to get us through this three month period. Mm -hmm. What happens after that three months? That's still up in the air. I don't know. Uh, Steve Miller said he would trade me a pie safe for a quilt. I'd do that trade. No. Where are we going to put the pie <laughs> I safe? I know, I know. We have no room. I, I just want him to make a pie safe for the show. Yep. It's not, I don't really need a pie safe. I like, I think they look, I like pie safe. Sure. Karen wrote in, our good buddy Karen. Oh, Karen. Uh, every time I use a compact router to chamfer edges, the bearing leaves a mark all around the piece. Bits and bearings are new and clean, and I don't think like I'm. I don't feel like I'm pressing too hard. Why does this happen, and what can be done about it? Well, you know, sometimes it can be pressing too hard. If the wood is really soft, it tends to happen a little bit more. Um, what I find is if the bearing is not spinning freely, that can happen. Um, so you're getting. You know, well, here's another thing. Sometimes there's oil on the bearing. What you're actually seeing is is oil on the surface, but that shouldn't last forever. It should kind of dissipate over time. Um, but what I found is anytime I see a bearing mark, typically it's because the bearing is not spinning as freely as it should, right? So check the bearing. I mean, it sounds like you already did, and maybe that's not the case. Typically, that's the only thing I could think that it would be is a bearing that's kind of getting held up. It's not spinning freely. As a workaround, I would like to see this not happen. 
for you. But as a workaround, if there's nothing is working and you still want to use that bit, I mean, getting a different bit is certainly a possibility. Um, it's not a great solution, but get some blue tape or masking tape. Put that on the edge. Let the bearing ride against that, and that's going to give you a little bit of a protective barrier to prevent the wood from getting all, you know, dinged up and uh, get that, like, ugly line across there. <laughs> Tomasa said, that's easy. You let us make those comments. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, Last one I have here. Did you get um, Dan's? I think Plan D put, had one that kind of nope. came in later. Okay. Peter Villaluz says, I'm thinking of adding a face vice to my workbench. The bench top is two laminated butcher blocks from the big box store. The installation instructions for the vice call for the rear jaw to be at minimum three and a half inches wide by three and three quarters inches thick. This hung me up and I had to look at the instructions to figure out. I think you meant one and three quarters thick because that doesn't make any sense. It's almost four inches thick. That doesn't make any sense for a add-on face vice. So I think it's one and three quarters. How do you recommend attaching the rear jaw piece to the underside of the bench top? Do you think glue would be adequate or should I try to reinforce with screws? But I'm not seeing a good way to drive screws into the back of the rear jaw without the possibility of, the, um, of them coming through the front. Now, I did have the instructions here, but I got one page for you guys to look at. Uh, as you can see there, it's got one and three quarters minimum, right? So I think that's the, it was just a typo. So, well... I would certainly do some sort of a mortise and tenon in there, you know, if you're going to face mount it like that. Um, uh, some mortise and tenon joinery, a good amount of glue. Uh, you might even, well, you could put some reinforcement behind it with additional glue blocks uh, be between the two points where the, um, the holes are there. You could probably get some additional reinforcement with that. You could drive screws down from the top and then cap them off later, you know, straight down from your top and into that rear jaw. That's a possibility. Another thing you might consider, I don't know if you want to do the extra work, but what about actually notching out, hold on, what about notching out your bench, right? So whatever the thickness of that thing is, trace it out, cut a notch, and then now you can actually set it in. That's going to be a lot stronger than some of these other options if it's just kind of face glued to it. So I would think about doing that if it's possible, and then you could always just get a couple of screws, uh, countersunk screws through the rear jaw, into your top and now all the pressure you're putting on there is pushing into the thickness of your workbench instead of something that can kind of like start to bend. So Chris and Todd both um, were talking about the Festool Merkel review. Can you talk about the differences between a three millimeter and a five millimeter sander? Is there a noticeable difference? Do you have a preference? And then Todd said, uh, we want to see a follow-up sander video compare. A three and a five. So both questions are about the three and five? Yeah. Are you gonna, are you out to buying three more sanders? Yeah, we'd have to come up with some tests to evaluate the swirl pattern. So if you're not familiar, random orbit sanders, as they spin, they oscillate and they kind of go on an elliptical pattern. But you put those two motions together and what you get is like these little squiggly lines. Now the idea is that pattern is hard for the eye to see. But on lower grits, you see it. As you go up to higher grits, the pattern is still there. You just don't see it as much because it's much finer. But if you, you know, maybe you're sanding a little bit too hard, different types of abrasives, something goes wrong, sometimes you still see those things in the finished product. And especially if you get like a magnifying glass and look at a surface that's been hit with a random orbit sander, you can kind of see those things. So the idea being the five is more aggressive. It's a bigger travel um, you know, path that it's taking. It's more aggressive, but it also tends to leave larger, more noticeable swirls. The three is a little bit smaller, smaller swirls, so you don't see them as much. So in the ideal world, if you're being super picky, you might go from, you know, take the five all the way through your grits, and then on your final grit, you're at 220, do your last run with the same grit, 220 again, but on the three millimeter sander. Um, and that, I mean, again, I think it's overkill. I don't really worry about that. But if that's what you were concerned about, that would be one of the ways you could deal mm -hmm. with it. I think if you're only going to get one, I recommend getting the five. I think the surface is good enough, and it gives you a little bit more power in the sense of, like, you remove more material in the same amount of time. So, yes, I think we could see, like, what's the practical difference? We could do things like maybe sanding some plexiglass and looking at what the pattern looks yeah. like. Um, trying to sand, you know, other woods and then taking very close microscope, not microscope, jeez. I'm not going that far, You're going to buy a microscope now? A magnifying glass <laughs> to, to really see what's going on on the surface and see if we can get some results. Honestly, I wouldn't put it past you to do that. I might just go get a microscope now. 
Uh, Greg wants to know, what's a good finish to use on a pressure-treated pine for an outdoor sofa sectional? It will be covered with cushions in the, in, out in the direct elements here in Florida. Hmm. I don't work with pressure-treated material. No. I don't like it. it I, I'm not a fan. It's not my favorite. It's not my favorite. <laughs> uh, just because I don't want to touch it, right? I don't want my kids to touch it. I don't want to be around it. Um, but that's just me. So I, d I haven't really done a whole lot of research into what finishes are happy on pressure-treated material. I don't even know if you have to do anything special with pressure-treated, um, you know, with regard to finish. I'm going to throw this to the chat room. Mm -hmm. There's probably a lot of people in there with more experience. Because you did a whole finishing video like two, three weeks ago, outdoor finishes. Yeah. But it wasn't pressure-treated. But it none of the material was pressure-treated. Yeah. And that could change things. Yeah. Sorry, I don't have a great answer. Uh, Cassie Nicole, I like your name. Huh. Uh, I'm fed up with plastic nail. What? What's another plastic? What? Plastic nail. What's another hole or scratch filler that is sandable, paintable, but less porous? Is she talking about Timbermate? Plastic nail. I guess that must be a brand. It must be of filler. What's another hole? Sorry, <laughs> sorry. I read it. I figured you you sandable. Paintable, but less porous. Okay, well, usually if it's, well, sandable, that's one thing. Uh, paintable, I mean, the porosity is what makes it want to drink in a finish, right? Whether it's a clear finish, a stain, um, or a paint. So I'm not so sure I'm going to be able to recommend something that does exactly what you're looking for because you want less porosity. Oh, geez. Um, I'm seeing if I can. You know, I used to use a product called FamaWood. And if I remember correctly, I don't remember it taking stain quite as well as something like Timbermate. Timbermate's one of my favorite fillers because I find it to be more natural and I find the porosity to be very helpful. Famo Wood, F-A-M-O. Oh, I was gonna do P. It's like, I think it's like a two-part mixture. Back when I worked with Cody, he used to Fama use it all the time. Wood. And there it's it a is. really strong filler. There um, it is. Well, look at that. But I don't really know if it's gonna do what you want it to do. I don't use a lot of fillers. Yeah. So, but check it out, research it, see if people talk about, you know, porosity and if it's something that doesn't Latex, absorb a whole lot. Latex wood filler. Yeah. Read the comments. There's like over 1300 comments. It says, won't crack or shrink solvent free, uh, can be sanded, drilled and planed. Well, it does say stainable and paintable and stainable typically means it's going to absorb stuff. But again, the staining and painting sort of, eh, they go hand in hand. You know, you still want uh, paint to kind of get into the surface if you can. So, Famo wood. There's a couple things to research. I never even heard of that. Famo wood. There you go. There's okay. Link. Well, hold on. Lars has a great idea. Wasn't I'm, I'm just thinking of commercial fillers, guys, but he's right. Uh, you could just mix some sawdust with epoxy, mm -hmm. uh, and that would create something that's going to be hard, durable. I don't know about sandable. I mean, you can sand epoxy, but it's not fun to sand, um, and it certainly is not going to be porous. Mm -hmm. Al says, "Scuff it up. You could paint over it." Bondo. Bondo is an option too. Yep. Yeah, and if you buy that, um, like a furniture, there's a furniture repair stuff. I think Minwax makes it. It's pretty much Bondo in a yellow can because it's got that little, um, um, I think it's, I actually think the activator is like, going back, going back, Nicole, going back. into the archives. It, there's like I believe the, the, the activator is the same stuff you put on your face for zits. Oh, really? Like benzoyl peroxide. <laughs> Somebody check me on that. I don't know why that little tidbit is locked in my brain, but I'm pretty sure that's the case. Because there's Bondo all-purpose, Yeah. and then there's wood filler. Yep. I, well, I would go with the wood filler Yeah. if they have a specialty version for that. Because you use Bondo on car bodies and stuff right, like that, right. too, right? Yeah. So anyway, there are some things. To check out. Yeah. Bondo accepts paint and stain beautifully. Beautifully. See, when you get a filler, I think most people are looking for it to absorb more than not absorb. And that's mm -hmm. why I think the epoxy might be a good solution. You're heading down a path of something that doesn't want to absorb anything. All right. What else? Are we uh, done with the show? Uh, almost. We're getting, close. We're getting there. Uh, let's see. T-Camp, do you plan your day working at home or do you mostly feel it, feel it out with your schedule? Come in here. I see John. Feel it out. He doesn't mind. Um, I, I do have a rough plan. Like right now, John and I are working on the bed for his daughter. That's the plan. So what's going to happen on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, the default is to work on the bed, but if something comes along that takes priority, um, Todd says, this video is almost done, but I need one more clip of something that takes precedence. I come in here, we do that first. Um, so there's always a project we're working on and then we stop and pause 
to knock a couple other things out here and there. So there is usually a plan, but not, you know, I don't think too much about it till I walk in the shop that morning and go, okay, here's what we're doing. I'm, I had a question, so it's all on you. Uh, I got a question here from Luther Woodworks. I'm going to refinish our 44-year-old two pine stair treads. Would you recommend Osmo or Rubio? I really don't want to use poly as I don't want to have to sand them again, sand them down again in a few years. Yeah. Um, well, why would you have to sand the risers? I guess, is it like scuffing? So maybe he wants something treads. that's easier to repair. Mm. Okay. You know what? They're both kind of comparable. Um, the way I describe them is uh, Osmo. I think you can get a little bit more protection and a little bit more of something that looks like a film. Uh, Osmo can be laid down and left on the surface. You can't do that with Rubio. You have to buff it all out. So you're really just relying on what binds to the wood fibers. With Osmo, I've got a coffee table, the one in the, um, in the living room, is finished with Osmo and I used the top oil, which actually rolled on for the last coat or two and it built, it, the wax actually built to what looks a little bit more like a film. Uh, and I find that to be extremely protective from spills and things like that, but also still uh, easy to repair if we need to. So, I mean, in that case, we're looking at durability. I think they'd both be okay, but I would probably go with Osmo. Um, we have a, a little home theater in the basement. There's a riser there. So I put a cherry um, hoochie around the border and I used um, Rubio on that. And it's super smooth, it's holding up pretty great. But then again, it's not something we use every day, mm -hmm. you know, and we yeah. typically go in there barefooted, not barefooted, like no shoes on. Uh, so if somebody does step on it, it's typically not a shoe that's stepping on it. So I, I would probably go Osmo. Plan D Woodworks uh, has a question about tried and true. I assume that you've used the original formula before, but have you ever used their varnish mix? Mm -hmm. How would you say that it compares in terms of final surface gloss, semi-gloss, satin matte versus a Maloof type blend or a walrus oil furniture butter? <laughs> Give me a lot there. Sorry, this is like the last question. <laughs> the tried and true varnish oil. I love tried and true. I mean, as a brand, got nothing against them. And I have a giant gallon of tried and true varnish oil which is what I use on a lot of my food stuff, like cutting boards, mm -hmm. pizza peels, stuff like that. Um, I have used their, their Danish oil, what they call Danish oil, and then their original. So which one do you, which one? Varnish oil. The, this one? Nope, that's the original. Oh. So Danish oh, oil. Oh, there's the varnish oil. Danish oil, varnish oil, and the original. Those are the three okay. that I'm aware of. Okay. They're all the same. I mean, they're gonna tell you they're not the same. Other people may tell you, they may have different opinions. They all look the same to me. They apply the same, the results are the same. They call it varnish oil, but there's nothing that you would normally associate with a varnish, like a film. None of that is in there. It still goes on. What I find it to look like is boiled linseed oil or pure tongue oil. It's very much just an oil. So I don't get a whole lot in the way of sheen. You probably, if you, you want some kind of a sheen, I think you're looking at maybe 10 coats. You gotta, you gotta do a lot of coats and they're all very, very thin. Give them time to dry and then do another coat. Great product, but I don't know that I have, I just haven't seen a whole lot of difference between them. But if I'm gonna pick one, I want the one that at least on the label says it's gonna do the things I want it to do, the varnish oil. I want it to have some resin in it, though I haven't really seen evidence that there is resin in it. That's just my opinion. Um, then what's <clears throat> original wood finish? It's oil and beeswax. Oh, okay. So how does this compare to Maloof? Well, Maloof has uh, polyurethane in there. So I think there's like, it's a two part system with Maloof. Uh, one is, if I remember correctly, uh, like two types of oil and then, you know, just diluted and wiped on. Once that cures, then he switches to an oil varnish blend. Uh, that is going to give you a sheen that's more like a Danish oil, but you do have poly in there. He'll just, you know, the old formulation was to take a varnish or a polyurethane as one of the third parts or is it fourths, thirds, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But it has poly in there and that is what's going to contribute to a sheen. Go to furniture butter and now you're talking about a oil and wax. Very safe, very natural type finish, but also more along the lines of what tried and true will give you, which is not a whole lot of sheen. <clears throat> There's actually, I don't know if you feel like going to get it. Not really. There's <laughs> a test board over there that was finished with furniture. Um, butter. Furniture butter. It, I will say that the furniture butter, because of the wax content and the application method, I actually do think you get a little bit more sheen earlier than you would on the tried and true, just from my experience. So hopefully that answers your question. Um, 
Mark yes. said that, uh, oh. another Mark, with a C. Attaboy. Chepels. Yeah. Chep, uh, sorry. Uh, Mark Chepelski, isn't it? Chepel- Mark, and, Mark and Nicole? I think it is. Yeah, you're right. Yep. I got a memory like an elephant. <laughs> Varnish oil has pine resin in it and is thicker. Okay, it can't be Mark and Nicole, can it? I'm, I think it might be. It's somebody. I know it was something with his wife or whatever. Yeah, and they... And I believe they sent me a picture of them watching us. Okay. It might, uh, okay. Um, let's move on. Okay. What's the question? <laughs> no question. He was just saying there's pine. Oh. <laughs> there's pine uh, resin in it. Pine is fine. Pine is fine. <laughs> That's what they say. I don't believe it. No, I do believe it. I don't think, no one, I don't think there's any um, dishonesty going on there. It's my expectation of what happens when I hear someone say the word resin. Yep. It was them. There you go. Yeah, there's a picture. I knew Mark, they. Mark and Nicole, yeah, right? Yeah, Mark and Nicole. But like when someone says resin, I expect there's expectations and that doesn't meet my expectations for something that is said to have resin in it. But (laughs) I could be totally wrong. Uh, Vincent wants to know what that is behind you. Is it the uh, Millennium Falcon or the Enterprise? Well, what do you think? It's both. It's both. (laughs) So what was his name? The Wood Nerd or something like that? He he didn't even sign this thing. Dude, you got to sign your stuff, man. I think it's like the Wood Nerd or something. Um, this was a gift from a guy who knows that I like both Star Wars and Star Trek. It says, I'm going to read it. That's how we're going to end the show. A long time ago, in a wood shop far away, you engaged an audience and emboldened them to go where none of them had been before, to seek out new methods and new creative opportunities. You helped the next generation, a lot of inside jokes here, uh, (laughs) gain a new hope. Thank you for making it so, making it so. You scruffy nerf herder. So, all in purple heart. Great stuff. That's what that is. Greg said that his wife is mad at you because I told her you made me buy a Festool Domino. Well, now you have to make her something. Make something. Yeah. It's easy. You can get out of this one. Don't blame your crap on me. It's a good purchase. I, I, I approve. Okay, right. so... You want to tell them what goes on after this? All right. So uh, we typically wrap this show up and we head over to our after show where any topic goes and it's more casual. Mm-hmm. So we just recently went on a camping trip. Did some fishing. Did some fishing. We'll probably talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So um, if you are a YouTube member, you just go over to the community tab from our page. If you're a Patreon supporter, um, I will put the link in the chat and you can click on that. And it'll take you right to the video. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for watching, everybody. If you haven't seen the video we released today, go over and check it out either on our homepage, thewoodwhisper.com, mm-hmm. or on The Wood Whisper on YouTube. Either place is fine. Um, but it's a fun little video. All right. Have a wonderful weekend. Yes. Have a good weekend. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye-bye.